Welcome to After the Fact, a Knowing Faith mini episode where we look to take a big question and address it in just a few minutes. Typically, the questions we consider will line up with our larger topic for the season. That's certainly true for our time today. We are discussing Genesis 12 through 50 on Knowing Faith this season, and joining us today is Dr. Bruce Ware. Dr. Ware is the Rupert and Lucille Coleman Professor of Christian Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he has been teaching for 23 years. And he's the author of several books, including, but not limited to, God's Lesser Glory, The Diminished God of Open Theism, God's Greater Glory, The Exalted God of Scripture and the Christian Faith, and Big Truths for Young Hearts, Teaching and Learning the Greatness of God. Dr. Ware, welcome to After the Fact. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be with you. So here's our big question for today. When Abraham intercedes on behalf of Sodom in Genesis 18, does Abraham's prayer change God's mind? Good question. Yeah, that's a, it's a very interesting passage, uh, but it has similarities with other similar kinds of passages. You know, you might might uh, re- bring to mind, for example, uh, when Moses is with God on Mount Sinai in Exodus 32, and God tells Moses, you know, of, that he's going to go down and destroy the people because they're building the golden calf. Right. Then Moses intercedes. Right. So it, it's interesting, something similar here that God tells Abraham um, that they're going down to Sodom. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think the purpose of that is not so that Abraham will say something that would change God's mind. I mean, that's ludicrous at a number of levels. The, the mm-hmm. most basic one is how could Abraham say anything that God had not already considered? Mm-hmm. Right? right. How, how could Moses in his uh, appeal to God, remember the covenant God in Mm -hmm. in Exodus 32, is God going to respond, oh, Moses, you're right. I forgot the covenant. Goodness. Thank you for reminding me. Right, right. This is is God. He knows everything. So uh, it's not that Abraham is going to tell him anything that he doesn't already know, but what it does when God tells one of his servants something like this, as in Genesis 18, it invites Abraham to join uh, the, the work that God is doing hmm. in his prayer. So it invites prayer, or in this case, an appeal, as part of the outworking of God's purposes, which just indicates how earnest God is in wanting his people to be involved in what he's doing. Hmm. So it involves them rather than side sidelines them, right? Yeah. So God could have told Abraham that and said, that's it. I don't need to hear anything from you. I'm just right. going to go down and do it. Right. Instead, he invites Abraham's response. And uh, and by the way, it is clear in this passage that this is Yahweh, the Lord. And it, the reason is, the reason I mention that is because you might you might have thought maybe not. Because at the beginning of, of uh, chapter 18, um, it begins with, The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. But then in verse 2, while he lifted up, up, up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And, of course, then the story continues that they prepare uh, some uh, bread items and, and food for these men to eat. So they eat with Abraham. And, uh, and then they tell Abraham what they have told him before, that Sarah is going to have a child. And, uh, you know, Isaac was going to be born from her. Uh, Sarah laughs. And then when we pick up the story again, the kind of results in uh, the particular passage we're looking at, it says, um, the Lord, verse 20, the Lord said 
the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. Their sin is exceedingly grave. So it is one of those men evidently is a, um, a representation of God in mm. human form uh, and a, a uh, um, an expression of, of God in a physical way that God often does in, in the Old Testament. And so here we have uh, one of the three. And notice in, uh, in verse 22, um, when the men were turned away from there, uh, they, they, and went down to Sodom while Sodom, while Abraham was standing before the Lord. So the one who is the Lord stays with Abraham while two go on down to Sodom. So this one that Abraham does this bargaining with, as it were, you know, what if we find 50 righteous? But, you know, just minus five of that. That's not so bad, is it? So 45. And so he, you know, works his way down all the way down to, to 10 in verse 32. And, and God agrees he won't destroy it if there are that many. This is really not uh, to help God know what to do. Right. It is rather involving Abraham and his heart, his compassion, his uh, his longing for uh, God's justice to be right. upheld. So all of those things uh, are part of the reason for why God would um, involve Abraham in this. Something that he didn't have to involve Abraham with with at all. Right. So the, so the purposes of God are, um, uh, towards Sodom are not really up for discussion here. That's right. Abraham is being invited to participate, to have kind of his heart aligned with what God is going to do with the yes. plans and purposes of God yes. and be formed in keeping with that. Yes, that's right. Let me ask you, Dr. Ware, just kind of as we land the plane here, why do we want to protect what you've just said? Why, why, like, why would we want to be careful to find ourselves in a position where we say, of course Abraham changed God's mind, and that's not problematic at all. Why, why is that worth being clear about and articulating mm. clearly? Because I think some of our listeners may feel like, well, what's really up for, what's really, what could we lose if prayer does change God's mind? Yeah, thank you, Kyle. Very, very good question. I think what, what is at stake here is whether or not God really does know everything that is going to take place in the future, or whether, as open theism proposes, this view that kind of came up in the in the late 1900s in evangelicalism in, in the 1990s, this view that God does not know the free choices and actions of human beings in the future. And so he, there's a huge portion of the future that God does not know until it happens. And the problem with that, of course, is it just goes against so much of the Bible's teaching uh, of God's knowledge, which, of course, is knowledge of all of the past and knowledge of the present. But all of the church has always affirmed it includes exhaustive knowledge of the future also. And uh, when you think, for example, of biblical prophecy, how could God prophesy with the specificity that he does uh, aspects of, the, of Christ and his coming, his life, his work, his death, and so on, if God didn't know the details that surrounded what would happen with Christ in his life and the like? And, and, so, and so many other things. How could God prophesy Cyrus? in Isaiah 44, that he would be the one who would be the instrument through whom God would rebuild Jerusalem if, if God doesn't know the circumstances of what is going to happen. So you just realize so much of God's providence is really put into question 
if God doesn't know everything. So really, that's that's what is at stake, is the godness of God in many ways. That's why my book that I wrote on the openness view as a critique, I, I said God's lesser glory as the title of it, because I think that's a, an appropriate way to think of the diminishing of God. Uh, if, if you say of him that he doesn't know the future exhaustively. You know, this is, uh, I'm smiling and, uh, and I'll close this out here in a second, but I just got to tell you this, Dr. Where I don't normally do this in these after the fact episodes, but I'm smiling because uh, this is not the first time I've heard this from you. I've never sat in one of your classes, but I was an undergraduate student studying philosophy and somebody had, uh, I, I had kind of gotten uh, uh, caught up through some books that I was reading in an open, an open theistic view mm. Of oh. God, it felt very kind of uh, it felt very fashionable at the time. Whenever I was mm-hmm. looking at it, and it was very in vogue, and I was studying philosophy, and it, it just kind of aligned. It felt like a, a way forward, so to speak, with some of the difficulties that seemed very hard for me. And uh, this was as as if we can all imagine a time. This is right at the outset of YouTube, like you, like it was right at the beginning. And there was a lecture that you had given somewhere. I don't even remember where it was, mm. but it on open theism and and uh, it was the first really uh, very clear articulation of everything that you would lose in that view mm-hmm. and I remember I walked away from that and I no longer knew, I, I knew I knew that open theism was no longer tenable for me if I was going to move forward uh-huh. in accordance with scripture and I picked up your book not long after that God's lesser glory and it was an incredibly influential book at just the right moment. And so it's crazy. We've never spoken before, but I felt like having you on today, I just thought I have to tell him that before mm. I cut him loose. Today. So thank you for not well, just articulating this today, but for years now. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you, Kyle. That's kind of you to mention that. And I just, you know, as, as we all do, thank the Lord for opportunities to uphold his greatness and glory and uh, try to be faithful to the Bible in ways that will build up the saints. Absolutely. Well, listen, After the Fact is brought to you by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you want to study with incredible professors like Dr. Ware, head over to sbts.edu and discover why Southern Seminary is trusted for truth.